Hello, I'm Dr. Lisa Summerhour, and this is episode three of my Live Empowered series, Divorce is Not a Destination. This episode is about guilt. Actually, it's about why you shouldn't feel guilty about your life because you've been divorced more than once. I know from personal experience that divorce brings on a host of emotions. Being divorced more than once, well, just imagine those emotions being supersized. The shame, embarrassment, and guilt can be unbearable and detrimental to your psychological and emotional well-being. In this episode, I will share why guilt should not be a part of any equation designed to get you back to your best and most empowered self. Learn how to stop guilting yourself to the point of being immobilized. Life is a journey to be embraced, and divorce is not a destination. Hello, 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 hello. We're sitting here talking birthdays. I have people in my live studio audience. Always wanted to say that. Always wanted to say I have people in my live studio audience. You can't see them. Actually, right now, hold on a minute. You can't even see me. Let me get myself on video here. See, this is what happens when you have people in your live studio audience. You're in here talking to them. So I want to welcome those of you who are here and anybody who's going to be joining later or catching the replay. Um, I'm Dr. Lisa Summerhour. I'm an engagement and empowerment coach, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and engagement facilitator. I also work in the area of race and racism, and I am the host of this podcast, Live Empowered, and the series, Divorce is Not a Destination. So tonight, we're going to be talking about divorce. We're going to be talking about um, the guilt around divorce. The reason I do this show and what I hope to give you out of this show every week are experiences and information that encourages you to just experiment with your life and find the different pathways that are going to help you empower yourself so that you feel more empowered. I do believe that empowered people empower people, and this is where we want to have those empowering conversations. So tonight's topic, it's a long one, is why you should not feel guilty about your life because you've been divorced more than once. All right. So I'm speaking from from experience, and uh, at some point as this series goes on, we'll get into more um, more about my personal experience. You'll probably hear a little bit tonight, but um, hopefully we'll have some folks that join us. You know, all the divorced people that I know that are usually on here every week, they're not on here right now. So we'll see if any of them pop in. But um, this subject is is really personal for me because I have gone through it, and I know other people who have gone through divorce and the emotional and psychological and even physical aspects of, of the guilt and, and regret. And I wanted to talk to people about the reason you shouldn't live your life in guilt behind anything, but specifically um, as it relates to being divorced. So one of the things I want to start with is just some of the statistics on that, some of the statistics on divorce. And, and I know for our culture, this is a really interesting topic. Um, it can be a hotbed topic because depending on your traditions, your family, your religious beliefs, uh, your personal values, there could be a lot of um, a weight that people put on themselves around divorce. So in the United States in 2021, uh, 5.1 people out of every thousand were married and 2.9 out of every thousand ended up divorced. So uh, those statistics will tell you it's a little bit higher than 50%, even though they say the divorce rate in this country has actually gone down since 1990. Um, the marriage rate, I believe, has also gone down since 1990.
And so um, uh, some more statistical information. If you have been married more than one time, you are more likely to get divorced than someone, people who have only had one marriage, which sometimes I think about that and I'm like, well, that kind of is obvious, isn't it? Like you've been married more than once, you are gonna have a chance of, anyway, your chances of getting divorced are, are higher is what it is if you're on more than like your second marriage or third marriage or whatever. Um, and then I think there was one other one. Now, this one actually came from my guest last week, Sherry Morrison, whose book was, how to find love in a prickly pear world. If you didn't catch that, you can catch it on the replay. Um, and one of the statistics she said, shared is if you are more, if you were more sexually active before getting married or just more sexually active period, you also have an increased chance of getting divorced. So that was another interesting statistic. So I, I'm not here to debate really and discuss statistics. I'm kind of a researcher at heart. So I do like statistical information. But I am here to, to share with people, no matter how you ended up divorced, you want to get yourself to the healthiest place you can in your life so that the divorce is not the thing that defines you for the rest of your life. Um, I don't think we should ever be defined by any experience, any negative experience. I think we need to learn to have the experience and, and hopefully grow from it, but definitely figure out a way to move through it so that you can continue to be a productive part uh, of society and a purposeful, uh, living your life with, with purpose. So you don't need to live in shame. You don't need to apologize to, the, to the world for things happening to you in your life. And it's just amazing to me how we can make other people feel guilty. Um, or, or I I'm going to say shame, cause I'm going to give you the definitions or the difference between guilt and shame later. We can make folks or help them feel this shame or regret or this sense of failing. Um, out of some sense of value or self-righteousness or our religious beliefs. And, and we'll, I'm just going to try to be as transparent as, as possible. And I'm going to ask my guests who are in the room, they can just talk directly to me. Um, but if um, my mom, you know, my mom is on here. You guys see Jacqueline's name on here. You should know by now that that little circle thing with Jacqueline is my mom. Uh, they may want to chime in. So you may, you may see her on here a little bit later. Um, but I've had this conversation a lot with people of faith. And that, that's probably one of the biggest ones. And I know we've had it too. So my girlfriend, Dr. Gail, is, is my live audience, studio audience. So she's here. She has a Android phone. So she's listening most weeks, but she can't come on. It's just the way the system is designed right now. Maybe it'll change later. Uh, but she and I have had these conversations because we both had experiences with people of faith who will tell us it's a sin, it's, a, it's wrong, God doesn't like it. God doesn't like a lot of stuff that we do. The question is, do we have a right to shame people for those things? And what things do we put the most weight on where people need to live their lives feeling some sort of way instead of us figuring out how do I help this person feel whole or just leave them alone so they can find their own wholeness and be able to live, live their best lives. So let's talk about some of the reasons people feel guilty. Well, let's first discuss, I'm gonna give you a short definition of, of guilt. Um, feeling shame or even regret. Um, because of what we consider to be bad conduct. And so when I heard that talking about divorce, it's like, wow, so do we put divorce in the category of bad conduct? But I think we all understand that sense of guilt, that feeling of guilt is like, I've done something wrong. Uh, a lot of the stuff that I was reading, one of them I liked, it said, regret is the toxic cousin of guilt. Because that's sort of like either I wish I had never done it 
or I feel so bad and even almost depressed a little bit about it that it just makes you feel worse. Like you have guilt and then the regret takes you down another notch. And then the, the other one is shame. And the difference between guilt and shame, and I, I thought of this analogy because it said guilt is internal. Guilt is what you put on yourself. Shame is what happens when other people find out about it. Isn't that good? Shame is what happens when other people find out about it. So I thought about the cookie jar, that proverbial cookie jar on the counter in someone's kitchen. I don't think, mom, did we ever have a cookie jar? No. Yeah, she's like, no. We, she said, <laughs> we never had cookies. That's wrong. That's just wrong. We never had Band-Aids, which is interesting because my mother's a nurse. And it was like, do not start bleeding in this house because you'll get a tourniquet. Um, so let's talk about that cookie jar that other people had. So let's say you stole cookies out of the cookie jar. And then you started feeling bad about stealing all the cookies out of the cookie jar because you ate all of them and now nobody else in the house is going to get cookies. So you feel guilty about that. And then when everyone else in the house finds out, now you feel shame because it's public. And somebody will say, did you steal cookies out of that? Did you eat all the cookies and you lie? No, because shame will make you lie because nobody wants to feel shame. The guilt nobody knew about. You could walk around and they know something's wrong with you, but they don't know what it is. But the shame is because now they know. So that's the difference between guilt and shame. And, and when it comes to divorce, some of the reasons that we feel guilty or that people feel guilty, because we, we, we hold marriage, many people hold marriage in really high, it's, it's a place of honor and we made this promise and this commitment. And even if you aren't a person of faith, you made a promise and a commitment to another human being and now you're getting ready to dissolve that. And so there's some guilt around that. If you have children, you might be feeling guilty because of the, the ramifications or the effect that it might end up having on your children, right? Um, you might feel guilty if there was infidelity in the relationship, um, if you were, in, in, uh, were unfaithful in the relationship. So now you have unfaithfulness on top of your guilt from your religious beliefs so you basically have like a double whammy. You have like a supersized guilt because it was already something bad that you did that caused something else to happen. That's, you know, so this is how the guilt can just end up getting layered. So I, I, I looked at that and then I had to add this one because Gail, you and I know church folks could mean well, and they could be the ones that just make you feel worse than you already did in the name of Jesus. Well, you know, God doesn't like divorce. You know, that's a sin. And we've even heard people say things like, oh, if you're divorced, you're, you could, you could go to hell for that. Okay. So if you've got, it could be clergy, it could be uh, family members, friends, other church members who bring on that, that you're already feeling bad enough. And they, they kind of take you to another place. So you have to be really mindful and guard your heart and be protective of how you're navigating this because you could be in a really vulnerable place behind your divorce. Um, even if you think it was the absolute right thing to do, it doesn't mean that you're going to get away unscathed and not feel some kind of guilt or regret or, or, or these feelings. These are part of our emotional toolbox, so to speak. And, and it's not about not having any of these feelings happen. It's about what happens when they happen, what do you do about it? And what can you get out of it? So it was interesting to me, um, as much as I'm not a person of guilt, I don't really do a whole lot of guilt. My grandmother used to say there's no purpose for it. 
Like it just doesn't have anything positive. But I'm gonna kind of, I'm gonna kind of go against that right now because some psychologists will say there are some good things that could come from feeling guilty. So if you're feeling guilty, it means you're feeling bad about something that happened. And why are you feeling bad? So if you can investigate what the guilt is, so maybe you did, um, you were unfaithful. And you may need to resolve why did that happen? Why did you make that choice? And the guilt around hurting someone else that you loved, um, hurting someone's feelings, disrupting their life. So guilt can cause you to have to examine things and then you can learn from it. And so the next relationship you get into, you might approach that relationship differently. You may have some more information about how you operate and what things trigger you or what you really want or don't want in your life going into the next relationship. So it's not that all guilt is bad. What I, what I learned in researching for this was you have to monitor how deep it goes and how long it goes on. So, and you need to try to maintain some balance. So you want to have people to bounce this off of, to have people to talk to, whether it's a therapist or a counselor or a friend that's not going to drag you further into the muck. Um, because people can get really emotionally distraught behind this and have their lives just completely disheveled because they don't know how to get through the guilt. Um, and I'm going to later give you some things that you can do to work through it. But today I'm going to try to stay focused on why this stuff isn't good, why this guilt isn't good. Um, so those, those bad emotions um, that we kind of associate with guilt and shame, you, you want to look at, at what's happening when these things hit you, because this could lead to depression, it could lead to anxiety, and it could lead to paranoia. And if you stay in this state of guilt and attempt to get into another relationship, you might be trying to overcome guilt from the past with a current relationship and that's going to be detrimental. And I, and I really believe when I, when I see these statistics on multiple divorces or are these even, you know, we're talking about divorces, but sometimes I just look at serial relationships. Um, people that have been in, in relationships for two, three, four years over and over and over and over again, we still deal with the same emotional stuff sometimes, even if there's no divorce decree that gets handed out. Um, I know people that have been in relationships much longer than any, any marriages that I that I marriages that I've known up or any of mine. And when they split up, I think they're going to go through many of the same um, feelings of possible guilt or shame or discomfort or embarrassment or hurt and pain as anybody who's been divorced. So there's no rule that a divorce hurts more than a relationship splitting up that didn't involve marriage. So I, I don't want to make it sound like oh it, your relationship hurt couldn't be bad because you weren't actually married that's just not, it just doesn't make sense. Um, I talked about guilt and shame being toxic cousins. Um, and I do want to talk about those friends who really, really do think they're helping you because they've been married for 40 years. So they know what you could have, should have done. And before you get into another one, another relationship, we can tell you what to do. It's like, look, people, it's sort of like you had a car accident and you are walking away from the car accident and someone wants to tell you what you should have done while you were driving the car. How is that helping you right now? Or they want to tell you, well, the next time you get a car, this is what you need to do. I get that is probably well-meaning advice, but you need to take all of that with a grain of salt and understand that nobody can tell you what unhappy looks like for you. Nobody can tell you what your marriage situation was like. 
because you were the only one of the two people that were in it. And all the good advice after the fact in the world is not going to help you. And they just don't know unless they were living in the house with you and sleeping in the bed between the two of you. They don't know what was going on in your marriage. And you're going to have to get to a point where you trust that this decision was what needed to happen right now. Now, does that mean you guys may not get back together if it was something that could be resolved? That's not what this show is about. Could it happen? Yes. Um, but I'm not here to give people false hope or tell people you need to run back and see if you could fix it. Because again, I wasn't there. And I can, mom, can I think of one that I would run back to? See, <laughs> she, I don't know if you could hear her. She said, I don't know if you could, but I couldn't. Yeah. Well, her ex is dead. So that would be really weird. Both of them. Both of, don't say it like that. <laughs> and yeah, you only had one ex. This is true. She only had one ex. I don't know what she's talking about. My other dad was not an ex. He, he died in the living room with us standing there. Um, so, so you just take that information. And the reason this is really important for me to share with people is because the folks really close to you that love you, they really do mean well, but them meaning well may not help you heal because if what you keep hearing is what you should have done, that's keeping you in a past in a relationship that no longer exists. It's keeping you in the past of a relationship that no longer exists. And even if they're trying to tell you what you should do <laughs> in a relationship that you're not even in yet, your focus right now needs to be on you. Your focus needs to be on, if I'm still feeling guilty, what is it that I need to learn? What can I learn? And what do I need to do to get past this? So I'm going to talk about some of the, the things that are associated with guilt and, what, and why, they're, why these things are not healthy. And I want to talk about failure. Because a lot of people look at a divorce as a failure. And I, the, the doctor that I was reading, um, I have his name here, Seth, Seth Myers. Seth Myers, this is not the late night talk show ho host, Seth Myers. This is actually a doctor of psychology, Seth Myers. So two different Seth Myers. Somebody's going to be like, she quoting the nighttime talk show host guy. No, I'm not. This Seth Myers said, you know, when you're talking to other people about your divorce, it's really important to focus on your self-esteem. And that's why I said even really well-meaning friends and family and clergy may mean well. But I have also seen in extreme cases where someone is really going through a marital crisis that involves abuse, whether it's physical or emotional or, or mental or some combination of the three. And they've gone to someone at the church. And because there's such a strong belief that you should never get divorced under any circumstances, this person gets sent back to an abusive marriage because their, their belief system says you're not supposed to get divorced. Now, I've had a counselor, and again, I'm going to quote Sherry Morrison should have been on here. I'm going to quote her book again. Sherry's book talks about the, the, the reasons that are actually in scripture of when divorce is acceptable. And we sometimes find that that gets ignored in the church because um, it's much more powerful and it's much more, um, I, I don't even know the word I'm looking for. It's just people, people are so supportive or they want to be so supportive and believe so much in the sanctity of marriage that they will send people back to a bad relationship, a bad, unhealthy situation for the sake of saving a marriage. So you basically kill somebody's spirit in order to save a marriage. Am I right? We've, yeah, we've seen this. 
So that's why I'm, I'm on this thing a little bit longer about who the people are that you listen to and that you talk to when you're going through these things, because you've got to be clear with why this marriage is not good for you. And it can't be somebody else's reason. It's got to be yours because that's what's going to help you as you move forward and, and start dealing with your self-esteem. I'm going to read something that Dr. Myers wrote when you're getting information or suggestions or whatever from someone else. And he said, consider saying the following, there's a part of me that feels uncomfortable or embarrassed. So you put whatever word disappointed, whatever word works for you, but I don't buy into to the idea that I failed or that I did something wrong. I tried and all I can do is go forward. Going forward is to try harder, take responsibility for my own actions and be more responsible and sensitive as a partner in any other romantic relationship that I have in the future. And what this does to them is kind of say, okay, chill out. <laughs> I already feel everything I'm feeling. And as much as you think you're helping, you're not really helping. You're not really helping. So let me deal with this. And if you can't give me something that's going to keep my self-esteem intact, as I go through one of the most difficult periods of my life, then I'm going to need you to chill out. We'll chat later. Hold on to that thought. And so I, I love that. And this is something I, I would actually advise you to write something like this out. I mean, just write it out so you can practice saying it to yourself. Um, if you don't get a chance to say it to someone else, um, if, avoid emotionally reacting or responding to that in the moment. So someone may some, say something that's a little more directly uncomfortable. And he gives, uh, he gives another, I have another quote from Dr. Meyer. I'm liking this guy. Maybe he should have a nighttime talk show. Um, he said, if others say things that are, that feel shameful, they want you to feel bad or ashamed or, um, just less than, or like you failed. Right. And you know that you went to therapy and you tried counseling and you've been reading books and you really did all the things that you thought you could do to get your marriage back on track. And they're still trying to tell you, well, you know, maybe you should have tried. He gives another one. He said, look, you can tell them something like long-term relationships are co complex and difficult. And rather than to then react, rather than to react to what you're saying to me right now and have us get into an argument about it, uh, I'll simply reflect on what you're saying a little bit later. I trust that you have good intentions because I know I do. I love that. Don't you love that? Good. That was good, right? Yes. It's like, could you take two seats and call me in the morning? That's kind of what Seth was. So you have permission to protect yourself. You have permission to create an environment where your self-esteem can be rebuilt and you can feel whole again. And even though you know these people might mean well, it doesn't give them you know, the, the, the right to feel that they have access to just give you all this, un first of all, probably unrequested advice to advice that probably isn't going to help you much right now, because you may already actually be divorced and they're telling you what you should have, could have, would have done to save your marriage. It's just, no. So five things, five things that be feeling guilty can affect five things that guilt could impact in your life that are definitely not healthy. Cause I wanted to talk to you about why you shouldn't be feeling guilty about being divorced once or more than once. Cause let me tell you something. 
as somebody who's been divorced more than once, it's a whole nother, it's like another level of really, I don't need to have this conversation with you. No one, the reason this is called divorce is not a destination because I've never met anyone who is getting dressed for their wedding and walking down the aisle thinking, I give this three weeks and I'm going to be out of here. Everyone I know, I'm not going to say that that person doesn't exist. I've never met them. Have either of you ever met that person? No. Most people try it again and again, or at least I know I did, because I believe in marriage and I believe that it could work. This message is brought to you by the Get Ready to Work workbook, providing everything you need to know before your next interview, especially if your next interview is your first interview. The Get Ready to Work workbook is for you if you need help preparing for job interviews. It's a book and a workbook in one that combines education and information gathering. You'll be more confident and have the tools to be more prepared for your next interview. The Get Ready to Work workbook is available on Amazon.com. Get your copy today. Now, back to today's show. Because I believe in marriage and I believe that it could work. Um, one of the other pieces of advice that I, that I have read about in psychologists will tell you one of the ways to help you heal and to get your self-esteem and to practice self-care is to acknowledge what you did wrong, but don't take the blame for someone else's behavior. So maybe you weren't the one that stepped outside of your marriage. Maybe your partner, your spouse did. It doesn't behoove you to sit around and say, well, if I had done this, this, and this, maybe he or she wouldn't have cheated on me. They have to own that. And if you can separate your behavior from their behavior, it could get you a lot closer, a lot faster to starting to feel better about why this was something that needed to happen right now. Um, so one of the things that guilt can, can affect is your physical health. Um, you can be physically ill. I'm going to read some of the, the notes that I had here on my computer. Um, your physical health, your body language can be impacted, how you carry yourself. Um, how you're walking. It's even talking about your facial expressions. Your sleep can be impacted by this because this becomes something that you ruminate about over and over. You can relive when that guilt turns into regret. Um, and if you've got some reason that you're now feeling shame around it, this becomes something that you just keep going over in your head. And it might sound something like, what else could I have done? Or if your partner, your, your, your ex is calling you, you know, reminding you of how horrible you were, or you shouldn't have done this, or you've ruined your life. You've ruined my life. You've ruined our kid's life. I know someone who heard that. You've ruined everyone's life. No, you didn't. You just, you didn't. And if you did, then they should be going to therapy because no one should have that kind of power to just ruin your life. It's unfortunate. And it, and people do get hurt behind it. I'm not making light of the fact that a divorce could cause a lot of people a lot of pain, but we've all got to figure out ways to own our emotional state. And so this whole thing on, on impacting your physical being is real because the things that we ruminate about your, your mind has a lot to do with what is going on with your body physically. So if you're going through this and you're, if you're somebody that gets physically impacted by your thinking, you may not be eating right. You may not be sleeping right. And if you're not eating right and not sleeping right, it's going to come a day when you're not thinking well, you're not making sound decisions because you're exhausted. So all of these things could play into um, play into how you're showing up every day. And it, they could be detrimental to your to your health over a long period of time. Um, it, it impedes success. OK, this one, I was not prepared for this one. Guilt impedes success. I, I'm just going to read this one. And this is from. 
It's actually five ways guilt negatively impacts you. And I'm actually going through this because I just thought these were just so well done. It's hard getting a job or a promotion with your, with your fly down and your underwear showing. Well, there you go. Um, so if you've been thinking bad things about yourself, and this is what this is actually saying. If you're feeling guilty, you're feeling bad about something. Remember, the guilt is internal. So guilt is something you bring on yourself. So if you're feeling guilty about yourself, imagine how difficult it is to show up at your best for anything, right? Now we can all probably fake it for a little while, but I think you just, you, you're faking yourself out. Cause if you really feel guilty, you've seen people and you go, how are you doing? And they go, oh, I'm good. I'm fine. No, I feel fine. You know, they're lying. <laughs> you know, they're lying and you don't want to keep pushing it but you know something isn't right. You may not know what it is. So this whole idea of guilt and you trying to be successful while you're actually wallowing in guilt, you're going to struggle with that. That's going to be, that's going to be a real struggle. Another one is you're punishing yourself. You're punishing yourself. So it's this waking up every day and you're already feeling um, guilty. So your success is hit, but now you're actually punishing yourself. It's you are beating up on yourself with what else could I have done? Look what I did to, to my ex. Oh, what's happening? Oh, now all of our friends are looking at me and now, you know, we can't do couple things anymore. You start having, it's, it's a avalanche of how much negative stuff can you heap on yourself? Mom, did I go through all of this? Yeah. Do you remember me going through all of this? I don't remember some of this. Actually I have, a, yeah, I don't remember some of this maybe, but I think I just come from sunny people. So we, <laughs> I come from sunny people <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay, at like one in the morning, I'm going to feel really bad, but at six in the morning, I'm going to get up and watch the sun come up. Um, but you punish yourself and, and, it, and, and I'm, and I'm, I joke about it because I come from crazy people and I just think humor is good for you and you can deal with working on these things without it having to be this, oh, I'm working on myself. You can work on yourself and be, be sunny about it. Um, but we have these, we have this thing in our head sometimes that says if we did something that we think is bad, we should be punished for it. Now, what might punishment look like? And this isn't in the article, but I'm, I'm punishment might look like you're just not going to get in another relationship because you, you, uh, people don't, you don't deserve one or you might get in one and sabotage it with your bad behavior because you haven't investigated what was going on with you yet. And you may just be self-sabotaging your next relationship or relationships because something inside of you doesn't believe that you deserve to be loved because you got a divorce and you hurt someone else's feelings or you did something wrong or bad. And now you're just going to punish yourself indefinitely. That is, again, it's not a healthy way to live. Um, I keep thinking to myself, what would, you know, I'm a saved person. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And yeah, Bible and all of that and my divorces. And it's still all the same person. Isn't that amazing? But what would God want for you? You know, and when people are saying things or have said things to me like, oh, wow, how does it feel having like failed marriages? I actually wasn't sitting here thinking about that until you said it. <laughs> like I didn't get a tattoo that said, guess how many failed marriages? God knows that we're going to make mistakes in this life. And I believe your relationship with him is your relationship with God. Nobody else can tell you what that is like either. 
if you can get yourself to a place where your self-esteem is intact and you're back to depending on him for your guidance and you're in tune with that, then whatever it is that you've done in your life, if you can come to a place where you're now usable and you're pursuing your best life, I think that delights him. I think it just delights him and tickles the tickles him. If, if he could be tickled, I think it tickles him because he already knew we weren't going to be down here and be perfect. Perfection was never an option that we had since, you know, we, we, that's a whole nother show. We lost that. We lost the whole opportunity at perfection. What we can do now is strive to be the best that we can be. And if you're living with this guilt where it's impacting you physically, you're already, you're, you're, you're impeding your chances of success. You're now punishing yourself you are really drastically decreasing your chances of showing up as the best you you were ever designed to be. Um, it can change your personality. This is another interesting. It can change your personality, but think about it. If you're punishing yourself, um, if you, you're defeating your own opportunities at success, how would that not change your personality? How do you not go from having a sunny disposition to being the dark cloud in everyone else's you know break room? So, if your personality is starting to change, you should be looking to see, am I doing the work that I need to do? One of the things that I read, it said, you know, people think we get older and we lose that childlike curiosity, just like it just naturally disappears. It doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. It's, there's no rule that says just because you deal with the pains of living a life as an adult, that you can't continue to have this childlike curiosity about life. We see people that do it all the time. And if we think it's happening because they've never had problems, they've never had relationships fail or been fired from a job, or they've never been in a divorce situation, then that's just us being ridiculous because nobody gets through this life unscathed. You're going to have something negative happen at some point, And it's always about how can I recover? Am I going to recover? And so without that, you end up with a personality change and you'll you'll meet people who just seem to be they're just grumpy. They're they're the grumpy people. I was going to say old men, but it's not always old men. They're they're curmudgeons. They're they're the curmudgeons and you're like, "How could you be like this? You're 30 or 40, but you still have an option at 60 or 70 or whatever to decide that I don't want that to be the defining part of my personality." Like, I don't want that to be the legacy that I leave in every room that I walk out of that they go, gosh, thank goodness they left. Did you see them suck the oxygen out of the room? <laughs> Just like it was a, you could see it was like a vacuum as they left. So this is the, 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 la the last one about why you don't want to feel guilty about having divorces, a divorce or multiple divorces. It ruins your life. How could it not? You're impacted physically. You... You can't achieve the successes that you were probably designed and maybe destined to achieve. You are punishing yourself. Your personality has changed. You, you pretty much have created a scenario that could ruin your life. And what would be the purpose of that? You've already gone through a divorce. Do you need to make it feel worse than it already did? What about sitting down and figuring out why did this happen? And I'm going to be honest with you. You could probably ponder that one for decades and you might come up with some answers, but you might never come up with all of them. And we usually only need one really good one to hold on to, to say, this is why I got to get out of here. And only, you know, what that one was, 
But honestly, it was probably a bunch of little things. I'll give you some advice. My mom, my, something my mom used to tell us. She said a lot of marriages don't end up end over big things. She said even people that have affairs, for the most part, I don't know. Used to know the percentages. Was it like seventy some percent of women? Yeah, it was like seventy five percent of women. I think after an affair by their husband, stay in the marriage. The men's percentage was a little bit lower, but most of the times after an affair, people stay. And that's, that's kind of like the big one. Now, obviously you've got abuse. And if it's something where you're physically being harmed, it's detrimental to your, your health or it's threatening your life, you, you need to be out of there. So we're talking about, you know, um, infidelity um, or even child out of wedlock might not be the thing that breaks it up. And the, when I remember my mom explaining this to me, she said, because those things don't happen every day. Think about the little things or the things that seem little that happen every day that don't stop, even after you've had confirmation or counseling or whatever. Those are very often the things where you go, I just couldn't take it anymore. What might some of those things be? Disrespect. Ooh, disrespect. That's a good one. In any form of it. Just, just, yeah, cutting you off when you talk all the time, which happens to women a lot more than it happens to men in at home and at work. So we get it at work all day. And if you come home and have to deal with that at home, it could be one of those things where you're just like, it's been five years. I cannot. Um, verbal, abuse. verbal abuse, lying, um, things like that. It, you know, and things, people who are people who have habits that just at some point you can't take anymore. They're, they're just different than what you grew up with and you can't do them. And you'll know what they are because they trigger something in you. And you might try to say, hey, can we work on this together? And it's a no. Or people that don't want to work on issues with you. Having Being with someone who can identify the two of you recognize this as a problem and whatever this thing is, they don't want to work on it with you. So you're in therapy and they're just sitting there every week thinking about anything. They're not doing the homework. They're not having real conversations. They're not delving into what they need to work on because they're always looking at you saying, well, what about you? Um, when that happens, you could easily get to a point where you just kind of give up because it takes two people to keep a relationship moving forward so that it feels healthy and people feel like they're in this thing for the right reasons and they're both being blessed by it. Um, it only takes one person to say, I've had enough. Right now, it, it, the divorce, that separation is going to impact both of them, but you don't need permission to say I've had enough. Um, I think I read to you Seth's Seth's two quotes, which I really, 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 really like. So I see, oh, I see Nadine on here. Nadine, where have you been? We have been talking about divorce. Happy birthday, by the way. Was it two days ago? Yesterday. It was yesterday. We have a bunch of birthdays in my family in August and September, and my aunt's birthday was yesterday. And my girlfriend and my sister's birthdays are tomorrow. And my other sister's was last week with another one of my aunts. It's just been, it's birthday central around here. Um, we were talking about, we've been talking about not feeling guilty around divorce. So Nadine, if you have, I'm almost scared to open this up to her. Because <laughs> this could be hysterical and uh, scary at the same time. So, so these are the reasons you don't want to live in a, a place of guilt behind your divorce. If, if you are divorced or you're in the middle of going through one and these are things that resonated with you, um, 
And you're going to have to not be in here talking to me, Mom. Yeah, if, if these are things that are resonating with you, I want you to I want you to sit down and I'm going to give you a list of things. I won't go into them real deep here because I'm going to do another show on what can you do to move past the guilt after getting divorced? I want to do a show on these things, but I do want to talk to you about some of them because I don't want to leave you here without any tools, right? We call that we call that opening up the wound and not giving you any way to close it, right? For therapists or counselors. So if you have children, um, you want to try to be supportive as a co-parent. Now, I didn't have any children, so that was something I didn't have to deal with. And I, I'll be really, really transparent here. I know a lot of people who are divorced with children or were divorced and had children. And it co-parenting could be one of the biggest challenges that they face. And it doesn't have to be that way. But way, you, are the, but only you are the only one. Who, I'm getting feedback. Yeah, you're the only yeah. one who knows um, what the details were of that relationship. And obviously, if there were was physical, if there was abuse or whatever in the relationship, that may be difficult. But I would ask you to see if you can sit, and this is a good reason to go to therapy, family therapy, um, to discuss your relationship with your ex and how you can find ways to co-parent effectively so that your children still feel that they have two parents and it's not about them that this marriage is, isn't still intact. Um, because you can still raise healthy children co-parenting separately. Um, and you want to you want to create whatever environment you can. So that's one of the things that that you want to you can do to help move past any guilt or shame or this sense of regret. Um, if you don't have children, it's the same thing. You want to figure out how do you stay whole. Now, in that instance, again, I'm gonna be really honest and transparent. It depends on what your relationship was like. Were you able to divorce amicably? Were you able to divorce? Where you both come to a realization this is not healthy for either one of us. And as much as I love you as a person, I do not like you enough for this to, to continue. So why don't we part ways while we're still at least this healthy? And you may be able to develop a friendship down the road. I am not one of those people where you break up today and your BFFs tomorrow. And from everything that I've read and most therapists will tell you that usually is not healthy. It may take a little while before you can dissolve a marriage um, or even a long-term relationship and be friends with this person where you're hanging out. Um, I, I can't speak for 100% of people, but I would say for most people, if you weren't good enough friends to like each other enough to save the marriage, you probably shouldn't be trying to be friends next week after the divorce ink has dried. Give it some time, but more importantly, give yourself some time to deal with what just happened. Because having another quote unquote relationship, even with your recent ex, is not really giving you breathing room to deal with it. And it may just be a re rebound reflex to keep you from feeling guilty about it in the marriage. Well, I'll just be friends with him and then I won't feel so bad or I'll stay friends with her. So she knows that, you know, it's not no hard feelings. That may not be the healthiest. Trust yourself to be strong enough to be by yourself for a minute and deal with whatever comes up around the feelings of this divorce, this, this separation. Oh, this is a huge one. Journal. And I'm giving you things now. We talked about why you should not feel guilty, basically because it's not healthy for you. It could be detrimental to your health, in fact. But what are some of the things you can do to move past that? And I said, well, I'll do another show and really go into these. I hope you're enjoying today's episode. If you're getting value from what you're hearing today, if you've had moments where you thought, 
I should write this down or that is really interesting. I didn't know that. Then I want to invite you to stay connected to me. You can do it by going to my website and my website is liveempoweredinstitute.com. That's liveempoweredinstitute.com. And when you get there, hit the subscribe button so that you'll have access to any events, courses, articles, or promotions that might be going on. You can also get my other social media outlet links there. That's for Facebook where I'm at Live Empowered Institute or my Instagram where I'm at Dr. Lisa Summer Hour and my YouTube channel. But if you missed all of that, just go to the website, Live Empowered Institute, www.liveempoweredinstitute.com and you'll be able to stay connected with me there. Thanks. But what are some of the things you can do to move past that? And I said, well, I'll do another show and really go into these. Um, another one is to journal. Um, journal. Journaling can be a powerful way to deal with any guilt that you're having because you can write it out. What I will say about that, whatever emotion you're feeling, don't try to, don't try to hide it. Don't try to tank it. Don't try to temper it and keep it hidden. Now, I'm not saying be raging out in the street because you're angry but figure out a way to express the emotion in a safe and healthy way. And that might look like journaling. Um, it might be talking into a recorder. You can get your phone out and record and talk about what you're feeling. And at some point you can sit down and replay that and see what is that feeling for you? It might feel one way the day that you do it. And a week later, it might still trigger something, but a month later you might hear it and be able to break down what you're saying and realize, you know what? Now I know why I was feeling like that. And I've been able to work through this and I am not having that same trigger feeling happening again. And this is how you'll tell that you're growing past that sense of guilt. And this is also how you will tell that you're growing past that pain or loss or anger or whatever the emotion is that you're feeling behind your divorce. You want to create an environment where you can move through that feeling, not avoid the feeling. Now you don't want to react because you're having the feeling because you know, a lot of people get angry and do some crazy things or they get jealous and they do some really crazy things. You want to be able to express it, but not act on it. That's what I want to say. Express it, but don't act on it. I'll give you one or two more on this list. I've got like 11 or 12 things. So it'll be a really good show when I, when I do the show on how to move past the guilt. Uh, we did journaling. Give yourself time to do you. This is not This is back into that self-care thing. So research supports that self-compassion, um, kindness towards yourself, going through this divorce process is really, really crucial in making the emotional experience that you're gonna go through a lot more manageable. So self-compassion and um, kindness, being kind to yourself is gonna help you deal with that emotion. And I'm going to add the people that you surround yourself during this period. You need to make sure that they are supporting you in this self-compassion and kindness. If you've got people around you that are angry with you about your divorce, you may need to put that relationship on hold for a minute. It is not going to be healthy for you to have to try to combat that while you're dealing with your own emotion. And I see my mom is on here. Mom, did you want to say something? Yes. Can you hear me? Yep. Hold on. Can I put you on video? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> Good answer. Okay. Well, I think, you know, we think of uh, people getting divorced and we think of the marriage 
as being a failed marriage. Failed marriage. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we need to think of a failed marriage as one where two people or one of the people is very unhappy mm -hmm. and is not living their best life. Right. To me, that's a failed marriage um, long before the divorce papers are signed. Yeah. And, I, and I'm saying I don't even want people to think of it as a fail. Right. Yeah. 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 Because you probably that, that's an unhealthy marriage. It's an, yeah. It's it's it. I think if you I love what you said. One person is not living their best life. Right. Right. And so that's not necessarily a failure. It's a right. realization. Yeah. Right. And it's a realization. I think if, I think if we can come to that realization, mm -hmm. we won't we may not feel as guilty. Right. When it's time to get that divorce. Uh oh. Because we've lady. all because we've already decided that I'm miserable. Right. I'm not living my best life. Yep. That is and actually one of it the would healthy, be... healthy realizations that right. you can remind yourself of when you start feeling bad and to move yourself through the guilt. Again, remember, I'm telling the audience this, we're not trying to avoid the fact that you're feeling guilty. We're trying to move through it so it doesn't become a place that you live. Like don't, that's why this is called divorce is not a destination. I don't want people living in guilt and shame and depression and all of this the regret over something that happened in their life. And yeah, I know there are going to be people that hear this, but it's a divorce. It's horrible. They should have done everything they can. Get out of people's houses. <laughs> get out of people's houses. It's like I tell salespeople, get out of that person's wallet. You don't know what they have. I get it. I understand that sentiment, that strong urge. It's like the whole conversation on abortion or gay LBGTQIA issues. People want to throw that Bible at you and beat you to death with it in the name of Jesus. Stop beating people up with the scripture or the Bible or your belief system or what worked for you. Show them love because if two people, like you said, mom, if one of those people comes to the realization that this is not a healthy place for me, this is not how I'm going to live my best life. I feel that I've put everything in that I could. I've tried what I could. And if the two people can come to that realization and say that's over, then that is not a fail. That's a, we changed our mind and we need to, we, we're going in two different directions and we're okay with that. And unfortunately, even if the other person isn't really okay with it, I have a hard time believing that one person can be in a marriage and be miserable and the other one is deliriously happy. Right, right. Yeah. And living their best life. And living their best life, deliriously happy while you're, you know, sitting over in a corner crying or drinking or thinking, how can I get out of here? Um, Nadine, we, you're on if you wanted to add in, jump in. You don't stay in a marriage to, uh, let's see, I'll say satisfy the other people. You know, you, you don't want to be the first one in the family to get a divorce. Uh, your next door neighbor's been married 20 years and you're, you're trying your best to make it to five. You don't stay to satisfy <laughs> the Joneses. You know, if it's not working, it's not working, you know. And yeah. another thing, another thing is people who say, well, I'm staying in it for the children. Ooh. Well, Ooh, then I'm you're teaching your children, children that you can be miserable, not live your best life, and they will take that into their marriage. Right. That becomes the, that becomes the blueprint for a relationship. Right. So both mm -hmm. of those are interesting. So uh, people, I hope you're taking notes. I told you if my aunt got on here and my mom jumped in. Um, 
So yeah, Nadine, you're right. You, one of the things that, that one of the statistics was if you have friends who've been divorced, it increases your chances as well. Now that's, you know, but if you're looking at the neighbors thinking they stayed 20 years, they've been married 30 years. I, I can remember being in church, two different, two different situations. These are both real. I'm not going to mention any names, but I can remember there being like a 35th wedding anniversary for this couple in church. And people were like, Oh my gosh. And everybody knew that this man had been having affairs for decades. And I thought, okay, I can appreciate that they have somehow survived each other for 37 years, but do y'all really need to throw a party? Cause this is a lie. Like, he, <laughs> like his girlfriend was at the anniversary party. Okay. I can remember another one where the woman who sat behind the pastor's wife, she sat behind her with his, her son, found out later that that was the pastor's mistress and his son. Mm-hmm. And I get an amen up in and, here. Right, you get an amen up. So, you know, sometimes we put these fairy tale, um, we attach this fairy tale to a marriage. And we also assume that everybody that said I do did it with God's blessing. Because the first thing a lot of people right. want to say, well, God doesn't like it. I don't know if God was the one who actually put us together. True. Yeah. I'm not sure that that's what happened. Um, it sounds good. And so I think that we do attach this fairy tale to marriage because it, it, in our society, we want to, we want to put it up on this pedestal and make it this thing, but we're just not good at relationships and marriage is just one of them. And you're right, Nadine, if we're doing it, trying to keep up with the Joneses or mom, and I know we've heard this from people before while I'm standing for the kids. And very often mm -hmm. the kids are the ones that are suffering in that relationship because they also know that y'all are miserable. And so, Thank like you, you said, you teach your kids that this is what being married is. You stay in here at all costs. Your health is bad. Your The communication is horrible. No one seems happy in the house, but we're married. Right. And so it becomes, it becomes the example that we set. So, um, I, I have a, I have a letter from a family friend. Um, oh my gosh, mom, I just went blank. They were down in Atlanta. You took care of the dad. Yeah. Uh, what Rocky. Was his name? Rocky. Rocky. Yeah. Who has since passed. Now, Rocky was a friend of our family. He was also a minister and I had gone through a divorce and was in this house by myself trying to get this house in shape and all this stuff. And he came to visit and walked through the house and I was not in a good way. And I was just vulnerable enough to tell him, you know, I'm waking up at one o'clock in the morning. It was actually one. I would wake up at 11, 11 and one, one. We'll have to ask Kath what those numbers mean. Cause I have a girlfriend who's like, Oh, the numbers. Um, and I said, I'm just walking around the house going, how did I end up in this house by myself? And he sent me a letter back and I have the, I found the letter moving into my office space right now. And I have it framed on my, on my wall. And in the letter, and in the letter, he put some of this, but in our conversation, what he said to me was, this is life. This is life. It's not about us deciding if it's good or bad or right or wrong. We put these labels on things that we do, and then we assign them to God. And we decide that God is going to be upset with us or punish us. And he said, um, Divorce did not start with me. Like it didn't get in, I didn't invent divorce. It's been around for a minute. 
of feeling guilty or ashamed about my marriage not working, it serves no purpose. It serves no purpose. Um, and he said, and it certainly wasn't going to help me live into my purpose. And th this was our conversation that day. He sent me a beautiful letter. Um, but what really stayed with me, the thing that he said to me that really stayed with me is that God doesn't punish us. He's not keeping score. Like we do that. It's that, it's that guilt. It's the guilt. And it's the shame of when other people are going to look at us. So Nadine, when you talked about the, well, the neighbor's going to be like, oh, what a shame. We've been married 20 years or 30 years and they couldn't make it for. Hmm. And you start feeling some kind of way because now you're comparing yourself to what was going on with somebody else's house. And you don't know what, you don't know what's going on with them. They, they, they may be deliriously happy and they may be miserable, but too afraid to leave. So you stay out of fear instead of out of love. But Rocky, when he said to me, God is not keeping score. He is not tallying up your rights and wrongs and goods and bads and then deciding to punish you for that. You've got to decide not to do that to yourself. And so that's the message that I would leave people with today. You deserve to live your best life no matter how many times you've been divorced. Don't keep score. It is what it is. And if you want it to be an unfortunate nightmare in your life, then that's what it will be. But if you want to figure out a way to live your, your best life, this is one of the reasons that I started this podcast. It's one of the reasons I, I've designed a program for people that really want to have help working through this. And it's one of the reasons I've started talking about this more so people can realize you're not alone. There are other people out here like us that have had one or two divorces. I, I really wish one of my high school girlfriends were on here. Uh, we got together again at a, a funeral of another classmate and we were talking about being married more than once. And I asked her, what do you say to people? Because I know you were really active in your church and you know they can really, it's almost like you have that scarlet letter. It's a D though, instead of A. And she said, oh honey, I just tell them because I'm the marrying kind. That's why I've been married this many times. People want to marry me. <laughs> they don't want to just sleep with me. They don't want to just live with me. She said, they just want to marry me. She said, I'm just that, that woman. And I was like, I need to put that on a t-shirt. I'm the marrying kind. Um, and, and I say that to lighten this up for those of you who are really, really struggling. It will get better. It will get better when you decide it's time for it to get better. And not just think about it, but actually start doing behaviors that are indicative of things getting better. And if you really are struggling, this is a great time to go get counseling. This is a great time to get therapy for yourself. This is a great time to start reading self-help books and to find someone that you feel comfortable enough to talk to who's gonna be an encouragement in your life and somebody that's gonna lift you up. So I'm gonna wrap with this. I, I always end my Live Empowered with my What Went Wells. Um, this is Divorce is Not a Destination, the series on my, on my Live Empowered uh, podcast here on, on Fireside. And I, I still have been kind of wrapping it up with my What Went Wells, but I'm gonna do this today. Um, Mom, after your yeah. divorce, what went well for you? My life. Um, <laughs> My life. <laughs> well, I was I was young, mm -hmm. you know, but um, I, I was. Oh, I came from a home of um, you know. My mom was strong. My dad was supportive. Um, Perry, you know, my brother. And at some point, very quickly, I realized that this isn't the way, you know. Um, this isn't the way I'm supposed to live. Mm -hmm. 
and you know, I wasn't going to tolerate the abuse. So very quickly, I was able to just pack up my two girls and um, go back home with my parents. Mm -hmm. But what, what it, went it well? Was, what started going? What's, what went well for you? Because I want people to hear you could go well, through that. And well, at what point did I, you realize this is, this is getting better for me? Um, when I was able to realize I couldn't live on welfare and I wanted to go to school. Ah, so once I, think I, I lost you, know, you, Lisa. Oh, mom, can you still hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Um, yeah. So once I started nursing school, I mean, and I had never thought about nursing school, although you know my mom was a nurse. Mm -hmm. But once I started, I knew that that was that was what I was supposed to do, mm -hmm. and so that in itself was like uplifting. Huge. You just you know I just felt good, yeah, and I huge. never you know, even imagine that in my wildest dreams when I was with my husband. Never. Yeah. Nadine, are you, did you lose us? No, I'm back. I can hear you now. Okay. So um, I'm asking me, you guys I, the question after your divorce, what went well for you? Like what changed? What, what, what was that moment when you realized okay. I'm going to be fine? Well, and this, mm -hmm. Mine started just a little bit b before I got divorced. In fact, I told him what I was going to do. Mm -hmm. I told him I was going to get a job because I was a stay-at-home wife. I was going to get a job and get a car, and I was going to leave him. And that's the order I did it. I got a car from a guy that I went to school with. It cost me a dollar. It's a little red Volkswagen. Wow. I got a job working at Nurses Aid. I got a job working as a nurse's aide, and at the same time, I went to Penny Point. You both might remember that. I remember that. And mm -hmm. I paid the manager. I paid the manager like fifty dollars every other week. That's how I got paid to go as a down payment on an apartment until he told me, "Don't come over and give me anything else. Just come on and move in." So that's <laughs> what went well for me. <laughs> okay, I, I know there are people listening going, you can put a down payment on a, on a, you can, you can lay a, she laid away an apartment. Right. Yes, that was I did. I, yeah, yes, I, did. I, I need you to hear my aunt laid away an apartment. So if you think things are not possible, she paid a man $50 a week to put down on an apartment until she could afford to move in. And he finally just yes, gave I up did. and said, just move in. <laughs> yes, so thank you, because I really want people to hear who are in this right now that it can get better and it, and it will get better if you start looking at what better looks like for you. Right. So I know for me, uh, one of the things that I would say went well afterwards was just pouring into myself and having projects. Now it's interesting because the letter that Rocky wrote me, he actually calls me the East, East Coast regional queen of Home Depot. So, <laughs> so well, when you walk into, when, when you walk into Home Depot and people know your name yeah, and ask you what you're building, yeah, um, yeah. Ask you to help wait on customers, that means you're right. in Home Depot a lot. Right. That, that worked for me. It was creating something. It took my mind off of what was going on. And the other thing that really went well is I found really good therapists. And that was at the, at the, after a conversation with another black woman who happened to be a therapist. And she said one of the best things she, gifts she had ever given herself was a therapist. And anytime she relocates after she finds a place to live, the first thing she finds after that is a therapist. So those are our what went wells, even 
with divorce because divorce people, it's not a destination. It's something that you're going through. It's something that you're dealing with. It's one of many experiences you're going to have in your life. And you again, get to choose what that looks like moving forward. So I will be back with more Divorce is Not a Destination with this series on Live Empowered. Until next time, I'm Dr. Lisa Summer Hour. I want to thank all my guests and everybody who listens to this in replay. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this series, Divorce is Not a Destination. You can connect with me on Facebook at Dr. Lisa Summer Hour, Live Empowered Institute. If you enjoyed this episode, recommend Divorce is Not a Destination to friends and family. Be sure to join my live audience and see upcoming shows by registering for access at fireside.com backslash Lisa Summer Hour. That's L-I-S-A-S-U-M-M-E-R-O-U-R. Catch replays on Fireside and my YouTube channel. Until next time, remember that life is the journey and divorce is not a destination. Live on Fireside.